Value Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Mastery Partners, where our mission is to equip business owners to maximize business value so they can transition their business on their terms. Our mission was born from the lessons we've learned from over 100 business transactions, which fuels our desire to share our experiences and wisdom so you can succeed. Now, here's your host, CEO of Mastery Partners, Tom Bronson. Hi, this is Tom Bronson, and welcome to Maximize Business Value, a podcast for business owners who are passionate about building long-term sustainable value in their businesses. In this episode, I'd like to welcome our guest, Dr. Jill Olmsted. She's the founder of The Coterie Project, where they fuse exclusive people and extraordinary experiences. Now, doesn't that sound exciting? Jill is a CEO coach and peer advisory board chair. I was introduced to Jill by my good friend, Mike Rose, CEO of Mojo Media Labs and founder of Return on Energy, Inc., who has been on this podcast as well as a guest on our monthly webinar series. So I have a lot of trust in Mike. And so anybody that Mike brings to the table is all right in my book. When I recently talked with Jill, I was fascinated that her her doctoral dissertation focused on the value of peer groups. And since we have started a masterclass with a peer group component, I thought this would be the perfect time to have Jill as a guest here to talk about the value of peer groups for business owners. So welcome to Maximize Business Value, Jill. How are you today? I'm fabulous, Tom. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, We're going to have a fun time. So tell us about the Coterie Project uh, and uh, a little bit kind of about what what that business is all about. Sure thing. So the Coterie is, it's kind of a funny word, uh, but the definition is it's an exclusive group of people who come together and share a unifying purpose. So what we do is we tackle business issues, issues related to people development, culture, organizational development, Uh, We tackle issues related to maximizing profit and generating revenue, strategy and planning, uh, some product development, client and vendor relationships, you name it. If it's an issue that is at top of mind for business owners and CEOs, we're going to discuss it in some of our groups and meetings. In addition to that, we also address some of these overarching holistic issues that business owners face, maybe not on a day-to-day, but as a big picture deal. Um, Some of those issues are accountability, which is huge. You know, as a CEO or a business owner, there's, there's not always a system of people in place to hold you accountable. So the group comes together to provide that accountability, CEOs also face solitude and decision-making from time to time. So the the group helps to alleviate some of that isolation that a a CEO may may feel. Um, We discuss how to take deliberate action on items that are pressing and need to be addressed. We talk about ways to navigate change, especially now. It's a huge opportunity for change with everything that's going on today. So that's a a hot topic, as well as 
understanding purpose. You know, we all have a purpose and a reason, uh, goals that we want to fulfill. So how do we understand those purposes and how do we take that purpose to help us maximize what we can achieve? Um, the Then the other side is community. How do we become more influential members in the community as business owners and leaders. So basically we do a lot. We cover a lot of things. It's uh, an environment where leaders can flourish. The developing of small executive groups, individuals can connect with others who have been through it, are going through it, or will go through it at some point. The goal is to provide the experience that helps others deeply understand their purpose. Like I said, how does this purpose translate into helping them achieve things that they never thought was possible? So that's a, that's a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole accountability uh, thing is so important, right? I mean, people, Typically, um, as I've talked with other folks, we really very easily let ourselves off the hook, don't we? Um, but when other people are holding us accountable, it's not so easy for us to to let ourselves off the hook. Um, and so I found always in my career, and, and I've arguably built a, a very successful career, a number of companies, but I always wanted to have an accountability partner because I know that I'm not going to do things until someone else is kind of holding me accountable. Um, being being at the top of an organization is a lonely place. You know, you mentioned that it's a feeling of isolation and where do you turn to? Who do you talk to? Uh, and so I, I love what you guys are doing there. So what is your background and why did you start the Coterie Project? So the the Coterie Project was started as a um, avenue to provide others with those connections of like-minded individuals where they can come together and maximize their business value. Jim Rohn, you may have heard of him. He's a motivational speaker who says that you are the average of the top five people that you spend the most time with. So this platform creates an opportunity for others to enhance and emulate those um, top five people that they're spending that time with. I also want to inject my knowledge, experience, and academic research into the teams that I help so that they can be more successful. And you know the word success, it's kind of subjective. Everyone has their own opinion of what that means to them. And this platform is created so that everyone can achieve their own version of success. You know, um, you asked about my background. Um, It's probably different than yours and most people. Um, The foundation of my background is based on hard work. I constantly hear my father's words ringing in my ears. Uh, Anytime I'm facing a a tough decision and I want to give up, he would always say, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So those words have kind of carried me on through through my career and, and helped bring me to where I am today. So um, just to just to give you like a bit of detail about my background, my first adult job as a retail manager was kind of the springboard for um, my path. There, I became completely 
involved with development of teams, training, hiring, onboarding new people, and just fell in love with development of people. That transitioned over into eight years of leadership in higher education. I worked in several proprietary trade schools as a faculty member, student service advisor. And then when I was in my early 30s, I was asked to open a branch campus as a director of education, which catapulted me into several other opportunities um, where I ended my career in higher ed as the dean of academic affairs at a national system of art schools. Um, so after about eight years of doing that, I needed some change and I ended up in Dallas. I met a executive coach and the CEO of Leader Thrive. His name is Dennis Howard. He's become a mentor to me and provided some direction and encouragement that helped me realize that I needed to start my own business. So after about five years um, with the Coterie Project, working with 14 other executive coaches, I've attended over 100 peer group meetings, I've participated as a member, and I've just become obsessed with leading and developing teams, helping others find their purpose, and building a community with these exclusive groups of people that share a unifying purpose. I love the reference to your father. Uh, my father. My father and your father may have been the same person. Uh, although his words sometimes to me were, son, because I, I one time brought him a business opportunity. I said, there's no competition. He said, son, if there's no competition, there may not be a market for it. And so uh, so those words kind of ring in my ears because when I started this business, uh, you know, Mastery Partners, we focus on exit planning. There's nobody really in this space. Uh, and so my dad would be would be constantly telling me, hey, if there's nobody in this space, there must not be a market for it. But I, I'm so proud to, to have proved him wrong. I wish he was here so I could tell him that. Uh, and Jim Rohn, of course, just uh, amazing. You know, he's he was uh, Tony Robbins' mentor, right? And so uh, you're right. You're an average of the people that you spend the most time with. So I so I love that answer. But I, but I what a diverse background in higher education and doing some other things. And I'm so thankful that that uh, Dennis talked you into to going out and starting a business on your own. But I have to ask. Why did you write your dissertation on peer groups? I mean, that's a good question. I started my doctorate program before I knew what peer groups were. So I, I changed it along the way. After uh, being involved with Dennis, learning what he did, sitting in rooms full of these high achievers, um, it became a game changer for me professionally and personally. Um, I'm involved with with these achievers in a room where they're so different than other high achievers that I've met. They're tackling high level issues, um, processing uh, decisions that are, um, you know, CEO business level. And there's a just an aura of authenticity and trust in the room, and it showed up as an intense support system. And that's really what inspired me to start my dissertation. I wanted to find out why these groups of people were 
were so successful and how they were able to achieve more based on um, just the the commonalities between them. So my dissertation topic was on how peer advisory groups impact self-efficacy of members. I did a lot of research. I interviewed executives who were members of peer advisory groups. My findings were patterns that were focused on faster growth, pushing each other farther, challenging the status quo, achieving like increased results more than they even thought was possible. Um, one member uh, interview that stands out to me, he even said that, you know, the group has helped me become a better leader. And now I want to do my part and give that, that knowledge that I've learned and bring it back to my team to help my team members evolve and determine what they want. So, you know, with that, the outcome of the research was a model that I developed that is the framework for all of my groups now. There's there's a lot of proof out there. There's a lot of research out there. And, you know, I've just, over time with the um, dissertation research and the experience, it's, it's pretty awesome to see just how these peer groups work and come together. Well, I am so glad that you changed your mind. Having having lived through that with my my wife, I think our I've mentioned this before on our podcast. My wife also has her doctorate, and I know that her dissertation turned out to be something very different from what she started with when she started the doctoral program. And so, uh, so I appreciate that. But I'm so glad that you did the research there because I'm a huge believer in in. Uh, uh, in peer groups. Now, in your research, and while you were talking to folks and kind of researching this, uh, how, let's see, I want to read this again, how peer advisory groups um, affect the efficacy of its members. Is that right? Is that the title of it? That's now, I know I told you, I told you this before, I do want to read it, you know, and you, you're, yes. you're, you're trying to have me not read it, but I'm a, I'm a voracious reader, and I do want to read it. Uh, but, uh, but, um, so, but in your research, did you find anything that that since you were working with peer groups and you had kind of been in that environment, did you find anything that was surprising to you? You know, I did, Tom. Um, I thought that the research was going to be about how individuals become successful in their business, which is true. They did tell me that, but I also learned about the importance of connections and bonds and how those resonate with all of the members that are in the group. Uh, they consider the members and membership like a family. And this environment also helped members understand their purpose deeply and translate into the communities they work with. So like I said, it's kind of a game changer. Absolutely. Now I hear now your dog is in the background and he's chiming in. Does he agree with you or disagree? I couldn't discern that bark. Well, I'm not sure if he understands what we're talking about, but I'm pretty sure he saw the FedEx guy drop something off. Oh, the well, there you go. And that's quite all right. So uh, we are authentic here. Now, he's everyone knows. Dog treats in the mail. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again. He's expecting some dog treats. Oh, well, there you go. You know, that's uh uh, and why wouldn't he, right, when the FedEx guy comes? The FedEx guy is a dog treat. Come on. So, 
So, you know, I'm a huge fan of peer groups. In fact, I'm a member, as you already know, I'm a member of Vistage and another business navigators peer group called a forum. Uh, so I'm actually in a couple of different uh, peer groups. What should a business owner who has never been in a peer group expect from joining one? Well, I think that all peer groups are different. You know, I've worked with multiple coaches. I've done um, this dissertation, academic research. Um, so I have. I feel like there's there's a lot of differences, but a lot of commonalities. They're always going to be a focus on how the peer group can contribute to business decisions, life decisions, even relationships with others. Another um, member interview that stands out in my mind is he was talking about how he didn't really think that the group impacted him all that much. And then after a few years of attending meetings or um, he would, he came home and his wife said, you know, ever since you've started attending these meetings, you're just so much happier, especially on the days that, that you come home from being at the meetings all day. What is it that you guys are, are doing there? That's, it's just really impacting your life in such a, a positive way. So that stands out to me as um, something that one could expect. Um, leaders should also expect to be challenged and pushed they should expect to be authentic and open with the information that they want to share. It's the group provides a no judgment zone. Like there's no hidden agendas. There's no politics to, to kind of wade through. It's just an easy environment um, to process some challenges. And I'm sure you are well aware, Tom, that most leaders face these common challenges, like we discussed the solitude of decision-making and leadership. Um, leaders often feel like they have to take on everything. Other people are going through this, dealing with the same things, and they're um, available to help leaders tackle those problems. The tougher the issue, the less likely we are to bring it to the table. Um, but I think that you know, someone who may be expecting to join a group should be ready to tackle some of those tough issues. They're going to receive unbiased support. They're going to receive a sounding board and they're going to get answers to challenges related to day-to-day -day business, as well as big picture items that they're faced with. And then, the biggest part is the accountability, like we said. So that's that's um, definitely a, a plus from joining a peer group is that accountability piece. Well, the one thing that you didn't mention that actually surprised me is those really deep, valuable friendships. Um, yeah. You know, it takes time because peer groups meet over a long period of time, right? I mean, I've been in one peer group for a few years uh, the other peer group is now just a little over a year old, uh, but uh, that one that's just a little over a year old, we have really during COVID gelled uh, And those people. I talk to them. We have nine people in the group uh, and I talk to those people. Uh, it's at least two or three of them every week, right? We meet once a month, but we talk every week and we talk about each other's businesses and when I have a challenge, something going on, I don't wait for a meeting. I call one of my friends or they call me and say, how did you do this? And I want to, you know, I want to kind of talk through some things. And these 
these people have really become uh, uh, very close uh, with me. And so I think that that's one of the huge benefits uh, to joining a group because uh, as we've said a couple of times already, being a CEO is kind of a lonely place. You're on an island. But if, when you recognize that you're on an island, but there's a bunch of other islands around you and you can communicate with those people as well and bring them together in community, uh, you can really build some deep lifelong uh, relationships with those folks. I know groups, peer groups that have been together for 20 years, right? And those people, uh, they just take care of each other uh, too. And so I just think that's awesome. So uh, back to one more uh, question before we take a break here. Uh, and, and it goes back to kind of the, the statistics around peer groups. Are there any statistics kind of in your research that would validate the value of, uh, of being in a peer group for a business owner? Yeah, um, there's tons of statistics out there, Tom. I think when I was doing my research, I was surprised and caught off guard by a few. of uh, The International Coaching Federation that's pretty well known in 2016, they posted a statistic that says 37% of coaching clients were CEOs and owners. Well, 37% seems pretty low to me, considering the number of people that are involved in, in coaching programs. And in 2013, which is a few years earlier, there was a survey that said fewer than 30% of CEOs were in any kind of executive development program. So the numbers are low, that's surprising to me, but they are starting to increase. So I would be curious to see a more recent study, maybe from, from last year and moving forward to see how um, coaching and um, executive development programs for coaches kind of increases. That's interesting and intriguing to me. Um, especially with there being more than 50,000 coaches worldwide, 30% 30, 30 of them are in the United States. So those numbers um, are kind of interesting as well. There's, you know, there's other top peer-to-peer -peer organizations that post statistics all the time that stand out and say businesses grow two times experience two times more growth when they're involved in an executive development program or a peer group, and they can expect an ROI of two to 10 times their investment. So the, I think the statistics are definitely there to support it. In my opinion, the only way to really understand if a group is right for you is to just experience it for yourself. Uh, we could talk all day about why this person said that, but really it's it's all about the experience, as you know, Tom. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, I just, uh, I'm a huge fan uh, of peer groups. Really didn't know. When I, when I ran my companies, by the way, I was only in a peer group uh, one time. It was a predecessor company to Vistage, which was called the Executive Committee or Tech. Yes. Uh, and it was down in Florida. And I think that it still exists in certain areas, but uh, but it was incredibly helpful to be able to get together and work. But uh, actually, I joined into that group as an executive. I had sold a company to a big publicly traded company. The CEO was in a CE group, and I went into a key man group because I was his uh, right arm. And I really started to learn the value of, of what a peer group was. And I'm really... 
as I think back, I'm surprised that while all the all the years that I was a CEO, I didn't get involved in in peer groups, and now I am so much so. It makes me wonder how much better my businesses would have been had I gotten involved uh, earlier, right? But there's no time like the present. Might as well get started now. And it has really changed the trajectory for me and for my business. Uh, and and these folks, you know, the, the really neat thing is between the two peer groups that I have, no matter what question I have or what issue that I'm dealing with, somebody in the, one of those two groups has dealt with it and can give me some good experience share, as we call it. Uh, and, and not telling me what to do, but telling me what's happened in their experience. Uh, and it has just proved to be absolutely invaluable. So we're talking with Dr. Jill Olmstead. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Every business will eventually transition, some internally to employees and managers, and some externally to third-party buyers. Mastery Partners equips business owners to maximize business value so they can transition their businesses on their terms using our four-step process. We start with a snapshot of where your business is today. Then we help you understand where you want to be and design a custom strategy to get you there. Next, we help you execute that strategy with the assistance of our amazing resource network. And ultimately, you'll be able to transition your business on your terms. What are you waiting for? More time? More revenue? If you want to maximize your business value, it takes time. Now is that time. Get started today by checking us out at www.masterypartners.com or email us at info at masterypartners.com to learn more. We're back with Dr. Jill Olmstead, founder of The Coterie Project, and we're talking about the value of peer groups. So, Jill, we've been talking about kind of uh, peer groups in general. How is your approach different from others? Well, I think, Tom, my approach is much more focused on uh, cultivating positive change. So we promote individual development with members. We uh, take some time to understand mindset, touch on self-awareness, and get to the roots of challenges that individuals deal with on a regular basis. Within the group, it's an exclusive group of diverse back people in the group. Um, to me, diversity is much more than what we look like. It has a lot to do with your background, your experiences, your beliefs. Um, that's what makes us all unique, right? And as humans, we tend to gravitate towards those people that are just like us. And that can be somewhat of a, I don't want to call it a problem, but you're less likely to be challenged if you're constantly surrounded with people that think and act and talk just like you. So there's less exposure to other perspectives. I prefer to bring in some um, diversity into the groups with these differences to establish growth through challenge. And that's encouraged by diversity and exposure to different perspectives. Another um, key that I think is different is the community vibe. I create a strong community vibe within my organizations and within my groups. The two programs that I'm rolling out this year are going to be um, programs that support the community by 
um, bringing in entrepreneurs, focusing more on uh, new entrepreneurs and nonprofit businesses who may need a group of leaders to help them get um, get going with their organization. Volunteerism is another uh, rollout for this year where groups will be participating in community development projects. Uh, I also encourage any leader of any organization to involve leadership teams in community development projects. It's a great development tool where you can create unforgettable bonds, uh, lasting impressions, and it's just a a good experience that, one of those feel-good experiences where the lessons learned you're going to carry with you all all along. Um, Another part of my approach is to focus on helping others find their ground, you know, uh, that clutter cleanse that we need to do every now and then to eliminate the noise. I think especially now with everything that's going on in these, in these times, um, there's, we've created a lot of excuses for mediocre work as individuals and as teams, you know, it's easy to kind of make excuses and get away with things. So how do we get back to our purpose and um, figure out how to eliminate that, that um, mediocre workspace? I've done also done a lot of work with um, trying to determine what makes us tick, right? Like I'm really into why do we believe what we believe and how do we have these habits that we have and how does our upbringing impact all of that? Um, Because it does, it impacts how we see things and how we go through life. And I've also learned that these things can be changed with time and practice. Um, You could change some of those beliefs or habits that are unfavorable and 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 that's a huge part of what we do in the group is just trying to uncover those blind spots and understand how we can help each other become better by um by pointing those those um, blind spots out so that we can um, be the best that we can be so I'm also rolling out another new coterie group this year. It's a coterie for spouses and significant others of CEOs and executives. It follows the same framework of the executive coteries. Um, And I'm sure you know, you know, through our conversations, I've gathered that you can support that leaders and loved ones of leaders are unique. There's got to be some structure on how to mute the tension and increase organization within the household, especially during these uncertain times. We've got multiple people working from home, taking classes from home. We're adopting more pets. We have less time with loved ones outside of the home. We have less time to travel to um, glorious destinations and relax and unwind. So the, the chaos that can be taking place from time to time um, needs to be addressed, I think. And, and this is an opportunity to address that uh, chaos 
help those that are managing the chaos and turn it into a growth and learning opportunity where there is also support to get through it. The um, Did my wife put you up to the whole clutter thing? Because, um, you know, there, there's, of course, uh, mental clutter and physical clutter. Um, and if, if I had a wide angle camera here, you would see the physical clutter that is me, <laughs> right? I mean, no matter how frequently I clean it up, this is the way I work, right? But it's that whole mental clutter thing. And and we all do have destructive habits. And part of the reason that I'm always in a cluttered physical environment is because of the destructive, oh, it's always like that, right? But I can change that and, and you can change the outcome and there are ways to, to be able to do that. So that's what a that's a great twist that you have uh, going on uh, with uh, with yours that is a little bit different uh, from the others. I mean, all of the things that you said there. So sounds pretty easy. But um, um, uh, what do you think causes people to fail? Well, I think you know if you sit and think about it, it sounds like a hard question, but really that's kind of easy too. I think fear causes people to fail. The hard part with that though, Tom, is identifying those types of fear that resonate within us as individuals and and how do we find the triggers to stop it from impacting our success. So I've I've found, you know, there's tons and tons of things that um kind of um, provoke fear, but with leaders, there's just a handful of, of types of fears that we're faced with on a regular basis. Not all will resonate with everyone, but um, one that's very common among leaders is a fear of being fake or a fraud. It's often called imposter syndrome, where we feel like we don't deserve our own success. Um, there's another fear of losing control where you know leaders tend to skip delegating take on too much and that can cause failure as well perfectionists may resonate with that type of fear um, there's a fear of criticism or fear of being wrong where we may blame others or won't admit when we make a mistake so uh, that could be a um, something that causes failure as well as a fear of rejection or abandonment, where we tend to just surround ourselves with our safe, loyal circle of people. We don't really want to take too many risks because if we do, um, we could be rejected or we could fail that way too. Um, Another big one, you know, Brene Brown would tell you that there's a fear of being vulnerable where we don't want to ask for help because we think of it as a sign of weakness. We, again, we can take on everything on our own and we don't need any help from others. So um, having that mindset could cause, could cause some failures as well as fear of losing. That's the last one, fear of losing or a need to win, where, and this could be defined as something where we only take on projects where there is either little risk. So we know that we are going to win because we've already um, 
kind of walked through the steps on the process and we know that we can achieve all of those steps. Or the other one is that need when that need to win gets so big, then you're constantly just wanting more and going after the next and the next and the next, and you just can't stop. Um, that can cause failure as well. So I think that's six types of failure um, in any ins- or six types of fear. But you know, in any instance, uh, failure can be derailed. If we can recognize it, we recognize how these fears are getting in our way and we take some deliberate action to change the behaviors that are causing us to have these fears and uh, identify the triggers and all of that. So everybody has fears and I, I've been I've been desperately searching here. You see me put my glasses on if you're watching this. Uh, there's a great quote by uh, by Tony Robbins and I was trying to find it. Uh, but it's uh, he calls fear as an acronym. It's false something appearing real, right? And it's just yeah. that we create these barriers uh, and and we fear things that because we're creating some future that doesn't exist yet, and then we we fear it and 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 so I can't I can't find the quote. I'm gonna I'll have to put it on the website after uh, we do this. But uh, but it's you're right. Fear I think is. Uh, uh, one of the biggest reasons why people fail to achieve the things that they really want to achieve, right? And now on the flip side, why are some people more successful than others? Well, Tom, I think it's all about what you put into it. You get out what you put into it. And if you put more in, you're going to get more out of it. Uh, If you're working with a coach or working with a group of people um, that in a, in an environment with a peer support group, um, the coach and the group, they can't do everything for you. We can provide tools. We can provide accountability. We can provide an environment to help you succeed, but it's up to the individual to have that desire to do better, to embrace the change, especially now, um, to answer the questions and make the decisions that position the business to move forward up to the individual to make plans that are actionable and deliberate and to uh, present those plans to teams in a way that makes sense and, and are achievable. And it's up to the individual to keep moving forward. I mean, leaders work hard always, and they have to continue to work hard every single day in order to achieve what it is that they want to achieve and accomplish. They're impacting lives of others. There's blind spots that they have to overcome. Like we talked about, you have to be able to identify these blind spots and be open to achieving more. Um, I think it takes daily practice and persistence, you know, just like anything that we want to achieve we have to practice it daily and be persistent with it. I think we've all heard the the gym analogy, right? Where if you want the six pack abs, you can't just go to the gym one day a week and expect your your body to transform into um, that of a, a supermodel, right? Like you have to eat the right foods, eat at the right times, get the right amount of sleep, exercise all of the muscles on a regular basis. 
Um, it's it, development of the mindset is no different. Like we're constantly going to have to work on it and take those steps steps towards a positive change. You know, a lot of times I think folks feel like successful people fear nothing, and that's just not true, right? Um, you know, they have the courage to face their fear, right? It's what is the definition of courage to to be scared to death but do it anyway, right? And so, um, and successful people learn how to power through that fear uh, and get things done. By the way, I've graduated from six pack abs. Those guys have nothing on me. I got a full keg now, All right. uh, and, I'm, and I'm very happy with it. I've worked a very long time to to have the full keg. <laughs> on my end. So what do you hope to accomplish within the Coterie Project? Well, there's a few things that I really hope to accomplish. Um, I definitely want to engage others in a manner that helps them discover what they genuinely want for themselves, you know, as leaders or uh, members of the community or whatever that means. You know, one of the models that I follow is a vision-based coaching model. Um, there's lots of academic research on it, and it's all about the discovery of the ideal self, and that's achieved by visualizing a desired future and identifying who you are at your core. Um, so there's some exercises that that we do and um, I hope to. I hope that those exercises are going to help people genuinely discover what they want. I also hope to develop a memory loop. So, and that's done like through creating rituals, right? Like, um, think of it. Think of it. Well, Christmas. We recently had holidays here where we're all focused on giving the right gift, and we spend lots of time and money providing gifts to our loved ones, but in maybe even a year or two or five or 10 years, that gift is forgotten. Maybe it breaks, maybe it's consumed, but it's not there. And it, and there's really no memory uh, that takes you back to the, the purpose of that gift. But the things that we do remember are, the rituals and the traditions, right? Like we remember how soft the matching PJs feel when we're opening our gifts on Christmas morning. We remember the smell of the cinnamon rolls that are baking in the oven and the sounds of Mariah Carey and a Christmas story looped in the background. We remember the looks of the lights and the taste of a hot cocoa when we're driving through the neighborhoods that are all lit up. And that's what sticks. And that is what I want to create, an experience that sticks, that will trigger positive thought processes that turn into deliberate action. Uh, I love that. Uh, a memory loop. I, I should... Uh... Uh, many times if I'm not feeling well, I have a what I call a pick-me-up file that'll kind of lift me out of that. It's things, notes, and things that people have given me that'll get me out of that funk uh, pretty quickly. But uh, thinking back on on memories, right, and and all of those wonderful things, and, and with uh, Christmas now fresh in my mind, you know, there's new memories now that'll stick with me. I uh, I would be ashamed to admit that I don't remember any of the gifts I had. 
that I got just a couple of weeks ago, but now I'm, uh, but my head is full of those memories. And so I love that. That is a, uh, a wonderful approach. And if you can accomplish that, I think that you can get leaders moving in the right direction. Well, we're almost out of time here. So one last business question, uh, and that is this podcast is all about maximizing business value. So Jill, what's the one most important thing that you would recommend business owner do to build value in their business? Well, I think that I would recommend going back to what Jim Rohn said, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So make them good people. Find an accountability tribe, peers that you trust, people that understand what you're going through, people that aren't afraid to hold your feet to the fire when things get rough, and people that are going to help recognize your blind spots and call you out when you're not making decisions with the best interest in mind. Um, a accountability tribe of folks that will pick you up when maybe you've ran off the deep end and you and you need somebody to to save you. I mean, that's what I would recommend to business owners to build their value in business. I think that is wonderful advice. I, I love the tribe analogy. Somewhere I'm going to use that again at least three times today because that's uh, that's exactly what a, uh, a peer group does is builds that tribe. So our longtime listeners know that I always ask the bonus question. In fact, most of our listeners listen all the way to this point just so that they can hear the answer to this next question. It is what personality trait has gotten you into the most trouble through the years? Oh, thanks, Tom. I guess it's my turn now to get uncomfortable and uncover some of my blunts. I want you to face your fear, Jill. <laughs> well, I think most of my loved ones, and I would agree that I have a, a fairly strong will that can come off as stubborn from time to time. And um, I could think of a story, a childhood story, if we've got a couple of minutes, if you want to oh, hear sure. Um, kind of demonstrates stubbornness. It's about a cat named Spaghetti. So I can't wait. Um, when when I was young, you know, I love, I still love all animals. And uh, when I was young, we lived in the country and often had stray animals visit the door. And one time, a, this cat came up, and my mom told me not to feed it. Um, I had some spaghetti that I was eating, and I threw it outside for the cat, and she ate it. So that's how she got her name Spaghetti. And of course she kept coming back for more. And my mom kept telling me not to feed the cat, but whenever she left the room, I would sneak her whatever it was that I was eating or head out and um, continue to get in trouble for it, but did it anyway. And then one day my mom and dad were both gone and my sister was in her room, probably making a mixtape and spaghetti came to the door. So I snatched, opened the door and snatched up that cat and brought her into my room, kept her there overnight, woke up the next morning to spaghetti and six kittens. So I was freaking out. Like, what do I do now? I have to tell my mom that I have a cat and six kittens in my bedroom and um, she's going to be really upset. So I told her she was upset. And the consequence was that I had to now take care of these cats and kittens and figure out how to find them new homes whenever they were old enough to do so. So it was, um, 
know, if, if I wasn't so stubborn, I probably wouldn't have been in the situation. But then again, I probably wouldn't have saved all these cats and kittens lives. So on the flip side of that, I'm pretty persistent and I make an excellent accountability partner. Yeah, well, there you go. So that's how you use that strong will to your advantage. You know, the uh, you say that you have a strong will that sometimes, you know, manifests itself as stubborn. I, on the other hand, am stubborn. Occasionally it manifests as being strong willed. So uh, so uh, you and I are, are very much the same. But uh, I think I speak for everyone when uh, probably the uh, spaghetti was very happy for the outcome uh, on that. And did you get to keep spaghetti then? Uh, you know, or did you have to give spaghetti away as well? Oh, we kept her for a while. Yes, she became she became a household pet. <laughs> That's awesome. What a what a great story. I'm so glad you shared that. How can our listeners and viewers get in touch with you? Well, I'm definitely around. I can be reached. You can call, text, email. Uh, my phone number is 314-677-4892. My email is jill at thecoterieproject.com. I'm on LinkedIn. That's awesome. Awesome. So thank you, Jill, for being our guest today. Thank you, Tom. I really enjoyed talking to you today. I'm glad we finally got to do this. So much great information here. I, I can't wait for our listeners to uh, to listen to this and, and give us uh, responses on it. So you can find Dr. Jill Olmsted at her website, which is the Coterie Project, uh, C-O-T-E-R-I-E. It's an unusual word. So the CoterieProject.com. You can find her on LinkedIn, or as always, you can reach out to me and I will be more than happy to make a warm introduction to my good friend. This is Maximize Business Value, a podcast where we give practical advice to business owners on how to build long-term sustainable value in your business. Be sure to tune in each week and follow us or like us wherever you found out, wherever you found this podcast. Uh, and then you'll be notified each week when there's a new one that comes up. And don't forget to comment. We love your comments and I promise we will respond to every single one of them. So until next time, I'm Tom Bronson reminding you to surround yourself with a great pride while you maximize business value. into the Maximize Business Value podcast with Tom Bronson. This podcast is brought to you by Mastery Partners, where our mission is to equip business owners to maximize business value so they can transition on their terms. Learn more on how to build long-term sustainable business value and get free value-building tools by visiting our website, www.masterypartners.com. That's master with a Y, masterypartners.com. Check it out. any changes on that.